You're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. This is a special episode in that it features two short talks that I gave at our revolutionary art event over the weekend. The first one deals with identity and pride and the impact this has on all followers of Jesus and specifically artists. And the second talk deals with how do you start something? What does it mean to get a godly vision? uh, And how can you follow through to actually see it happen? Just a quick reminder to share, rate, and review this podcast if it's an encouragement to you. Uh, That really helps us out and uh, gets the word out there for us. We hope you enjoy this episode. I am passionate about creating content that will challenge secular thinking and lift up the name of Jesus. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how God has uniquely equipped us to create things that will allow us to communicate who he is. So you might be asking, why does art matter so much? Why have a whole weekend devoted to art? I mean, you know, okay, great. Music and videos and podcasts, whatever. Why is it so important? I think it's because God created art for a unique purpose. I think it's actually a strong proof of the existence of God that we make art. I mean, think about it. It's very unusual. Like animals do not create art. This is a unique thing about human beings. And so I think that it points to something that God put inside of us. And I think it's it's powerful in two main ways. The first way is that it, it transcends culture and language. Art has a way of communicating across boundaries. A beautiful uh, piece of music or theater can speak to someone even if they don't understand the language. But what I've also experienced is that just because God put this inside of us, that doesn't mean that that we will necessarily do this as Christians. And I think that's because we have an enemy who is working against us to be productive and fruitful in this way. And there are two main ways I think that the enemy comes against us, and they are a false identity and they are pride. These are the two greatest enemies to you being used as an artist for Jesus. And so I want to talk about this, this false identity and this pride. Now, if I was to look at 99% of Christian artists today, they would fall into one of two categories. The first category are Christian artists who perform only for Christians. And that's okay. That's a necessary thing. But there are also another category of Christians. And these are the type of Christian artists who they don't want to play in the church, but they also have no desire to communicate anything through their art. It's like the guy who says, well, I'm a plumber who happens to be a Christian, but this is not my purpose when I'm doing my job. You hear this all the time. We're just we're just four guys who happen to be Christians who are also in a band. And so they go outside of the church, outside of the Christian world, but they don't say anything. And I think this fairly represents 99 out of 100 Christian artists today. There's a third category. You're a Christian artist who doesn't want to perform for Christians. You want to go outside of the Christian world, but you want to use this platform to communicate something that's true. This is possible. You can be this type of artist, but it's not easy. There are challenges. You're going to have to change your mindset. You need to have a proper understanding of yourself, of your identity. And the shift is this. I am no longer an artist first. I'm a follower of Jesus first. My identity is as a follower of Jesus. That's who I am. That is where my value comes from. That is where my worth comes from. So what does this mean? It means that that I look at things completely differently. Though I am not perfect, my desire is for God's kingdom first. My desire is not, not to make it, but to to use what I have to share the truth. Your highest priority is not to the art, but to Jesus and to his mission. Now, practically, it means you do not look to the scene to provide for you. It is incredibly difficult to make it as a musician anywhere in the world. And I understand there are rare people who can live from their art. 
They have the talent. They have the good fortune. God blesses them in this way. It's, it's a very, very rare thing that doesn't represent 99.999% of us. Art is such a gift. When you're a follower of Jesus first and an artist second, it means that you don't put yourself in a position where you rely on it in that way. You say, Jesus, I just want to do this for you. If you put paying your rent and telling people about Jesus in opposition, this is an impossible battle to win because Jesus will never fit into the system. He will never be palatable and popular. When you make pursuing Jesus the goal, you're free. You're no longer a slave to how much money you make at the door and t-shirts and follows on Spotify. You're no longer a, a slave to this stuff. You're free to focus on what actually matters. I've seen so many artists who desire to make a difference, but before long, it becomes about all the same things as the world and it just, it sucks all the life out of the art. To me, this is about not wasting the opportunity that you have. Huge percentage of the world is struggling to survive, literally. If you are in a position to be able to use art, this is a privilege, an amazing privilege. Don't waste it. Give it to Jesus. Don't fall into the trap of making your identity as the artist. Be a follower of Jesus first. You know, a common thing I hear when I say this is, oh, well, I care about the art. You know, I'm an artist. Good art is not just a means to an end. Good art does not need to have a message. It can just be beautiful. And this is just nonsense. All art has a message. The only question is if it's going to be a message of value or a worthless message. It's not if you're going to say something, it's what are you going to say? There is such a myth that art can be neutral, that it can have no message. It's simply a matter of whether you're going to use it for something that matters or something that does not. Now, I believe in making art as good as possible. Christian artists should be excellent. Christian artists should not be spending more time playing video games than working on their art. We should be the hardest working, the most excellent. We serve the creator God. We should be the most creative. But don't believe the lie that what the world needs from you and me is really good art. It's nonsense. There are good artists everywhere. They're like rats. Just go on YouTube. There's a five-year-old who's better at the instrument that you play right now, I promise. Be good. But to think that what the world needs is great art is such a lie. What we have that the world needs is Jesus. So be excellent, but don't forget what makes the difference. God wants to use artists. Absolutely. But we have to kill our pride. We have to be uncool. We cannot buy the lie that it's about me and what I can produce. You're a follower of Jesus. You know what that means? That means that you don't have to be the source of power. That means it does not depend on what you have or do not have. Then it doesn't matter about how perfect your voice is or how great your ideas are or how many people are looking at you. Then it means you have access to the creator God of the entire universe who's saying you do not have because you do not ask. What if we would make being a follower of Jesus our identity and allow that to fuel our art? We'd be unstoppable. And I don't think unless you understand what I'm saying here, anything else that's said will matter. Because I think inside of every artist, there is this battle. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about God? And unless we fight that battle, unless we win that battle, I don't think God will use us in a powerful way. People with ideas are not rare. People that actually do something are rare. People that do something and don't quit are very rare. And I think that God wants us to be doers. People that have the courage and take the risks and do things because the world needs doers. People that don't say, here am I, send them, but here am I, send me. And you can find plenty of books and YouTube videos about how to get started, how to make a plan. But first, I just need to give you five 
elements of getting started as a follower of Jesus that look different from the world. There are some similarities, but but there are things that are different. You're, you're not going to be able to just look at the world for your idea of how to get started. I want to look at the life of Nehemiah as an example of doing something. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to be jumping around in Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2. So if you want to follow along, you can. Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2. So if you want to do something, you want to start something, first you need to get a burden from God. Nehemiah, he's chilling, he has a good job, things are going well, but then he gets these relatives that come and visit him, and God just drops this bomb. He drops this burden on his heart. It says in verse 3 of chapter 1, They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. When you want to start something for God, you need to have a godly burden. You want to create content. You want to be an artist. It needs to start with a burden. The world is lost. All they hear is lies. You need this burden from God. What is it he's asking you to do? Second, you need to pray. Chapter 1, verse 4. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah responds in prayer. God puts a burden on his heart and then he responds in prayer. Now these are connected. Sometimes God gives you a burden and you respond in prayer. Other times you pray and God gives you a burden. And these are just continually linked together. So we need to get a burden, we need to pray. Then we need to come up with a plan. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Then the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. You see, at some point, Nehemiah had to go from a burden in prayer to a plan. Often, I'll talk to people and they'll, they'll have this burden. They'll want to do something, uh, but they just won't have a plan. You know, and maybe they over-spiritualize it. They think that God is just going to drop this blueprint to them. But at some point, I think we need to come up with a specific God-inspired plan. I think we need to say, okay, God, I, I feel this heart you have. I, I, I've responded in prayer and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. I think we often fail because we simply never get to that point. It always just remains this vague, ambiguous passion. And I think at some point we have to come up with a plan. Number four, we need to ask God for what we need. Again, chapter two, verse seven. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. This is, of course, a literal event in history, but there's also some metaphor here. Nehemiah gets this burden, he responds in prayer, and then he asks the king for what he needs to accomplish his plan. We don't look to the world. We don't look to what we have or do not have. We look to the king for what we need to complete the mission that he has put on our hearts. And then finally, we act. We get a godly burden. We respond in prayer. We come up with a plan. We ask God to help us fulfill this plan. And then we act. Eventually, Nehemiah had to go. And I'm sure he was nervous. I'm sure he didn't know if it was going to work. But so often, I talk to people and they're waiting. They're never going. And at some point, our vision, our specific plan, the thing that we've prayed about, the thing that we've asked God about, we have to just do. Now, when it comes to doing something, starting something, there's three things that I hear very often. They come up to me after I speak. They'll say these things. The first thing that I'll often hear is, it's not ready. I can tell you how many times after I speak, you know, I'll, I'll be in the crowd and they'll, they'll come talk to me and they'll say, oh, I have this vision. You know, I want to make films or I want to do this video or I want to be in a band or I have this idea. And then I will say, great, do it. And then I will be in the same place a year later 
And I'll say, how is your project? Oh, and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I need this and I don't have this and I'm waiting for this resource and that thing to come together and they're waiting and they're waiting. It's never ready. I don't believe you will ever produce something excellent unless you're willing to start with something that isn't. No one's first song is their best song. No one's first video is their best video. We cannot be ashamed of humble beginnings. I believe in the idea of improving on the run. So what does that mean? While everyone's waiting to be perfect before they start, I will start and get perfect along the way. Maybe never perfect. Because that's how it works. And I really believe in the law of 1% improvements. You know, you have this idea that, okay, what, how can we improve in little ways all the time? And I, I believe if you have this mentality that what small thing can I do and continue to improve and to improve and to improve, it may not have been ready in the beginning, but it's amazing where it'll go. And ultimately, we need to remember what it says about us when we say, as Christian artists, that we are not ready. It betrays the fact that we still don't understand that it isn't about us, that it's not about our quality or readiness or perfection. It's about God and his power using imperfect things for his glory. Second thing I hear is people won't join me. No one will join my team. I really believe you have to have a mentality that says, if God has given me this vision, and if it's only me, I'm doing it. I will do it no matter what. Even if no one goes with me, I'm going. And I really believe that you just, you look around and you use who's willing. In my early days, I, I had people doing things that they probably weren't qualified to do, but we were going to make it happen. So we just went for it. Again, it's this law of momentum. Just start with what you have, with who you have, and God will provide along the way. People are attracted to reality, not vision. Good people will come when they see what you're doing and, and that there is, there's momentum. I really believe that you go, you go with passion, you pursue that goal, and God will continue to bring the right people to your team. The last thing I hear is, well, it's not working. Like I said, it's not that hard to have an idea or a vision. It's a little hard to start. It's very hard to not quit. There are literally thousands and thousands of three episode podcasts on iTunes right now. You know, it's so exciting at first to start something because your grandma and all your friends will get excited about it and like it on social media. It is so much harder to persevere when it gets hard. But again, it, the key in that is this, where are you and how are you measuring success? Because I think a lot of people go out with the idea that they want to please God, they want to reach people, but that over time, what they measure changes. And I've been guilty of this. It's so easy to become seduced by the things that the world says define success. And you become discouraged because you are measuring the wrong things. But the last thing, and maybe the most important thing, is to examine your identity. Again, what is it that is bringing you joy in this? You know, some people become discouraged and quit because they are looking for validation from the thing they're doing, not in just pleasing God. When God is your source of satisfaction, you're able to persevere when things get hard. But this is also important. When your sense of satisfaction and purpose is in God, you're also able to quit. You're also able to recognize when maybe what you're doing wasn't God's idea after all, or if it was for a season and that season has now moved, or maybe it was just something God wanted you to do to teach you something. Everyone who has accomplished anything has failed many times. Every musician, every artist, every entrepreneur, they have started many things that have not worked. And you should try, if possible, to fail quickly. You don't want to fail for five years. Having your identity firmly in God allows you to say, eh, didn't work, move on. And of course, I'm not saying you just, you jump around and you show no commitment. That's not what I'm saying. But this thing does not define you. And so if God says, let it go, you move on. So, like I said, get a godly burden, pray like crazy, come up with a specific plan, look to God for what you need and do something. Realize that you'll never be ready, that it will never be ready. Just start and God will bring the things and the people you need. If his hand is on it, I have seen that he will continue to provide. And often the early days are a test. If you can't use 
humble means and humble equipment and small opportunities, then God will not use you in bigger ways. Thanks for listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. To listen to past episodes, search Provoke and Inspire on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found. See you next time.